As a small business owner, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the pressure of choosing the right hire or leading a team? Or have you ever found yourself tolerating a bad hire because you fear trying and failing again as you repeat the hiring process? If so, you're not alone and you are in the right place. Welcome to the Growing Your Team podcast. The Growing Your Team podcast teaches business owners like you to expand your unique business by teaching you to master the hiring and team management process. Hiring and managing a team does not have to be a challenge. You just have to learn to do it right. And the Growing Your Team podcast teaches you how to become a confident leader who hires right every single time. Now, let's jump into the show where each episode, you will learn tips on how to identify what type of help you need on your team, how to source amazing candidates, how to conduct interviews that lead you to your idea team member, how to onboard successfully, and how to lead every person in your business so you have a team of rock stars who you are happy to pay every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Heather Polifka. Heather is a trusted guide and business advisor who helps leaders create workplaces where people thrive, great talent stays, and businesses grow. Heather founded Awesome People Leaders, a manager development experience to address the prevalent gap in employee retention and engagement at companies of all sizes across multiple industries. A lack of training and development for frontline and middle managers. Awesome People Leaders provides a series of micro-learning and actions for real-world management scenarios to cultivate high-performance team building and an online private community to collaborate, share, receive feedback, and learn from others' experiences. Heather always ensures a positive impact goes beyond the workplace. She's a SCORE member, co-chair of the Catalyst Fund to empower early-stage women business owners, and active in the work of child abuse prevention and anti-racism. Today, Heather and I are talking all about becoming great people leaders. Well, this is definitely true in small businesses, it's very true in corporate companies as well that most people aren't prepared for their first leadership role. You know, a lot of people become leaders or get put into management positions because they're good at what they do. People see potential in them, and so they're asked to step up. And when you create your own business, you become a people manager when you hire your first employee or contractor to support your business. But you might have never been trained to be a people manager. And as most people find out, it's not as easy as it seems. When you're in corporate, 
You have the potential to learn from others. You have senior management that might guide you or at least provide an environment where you can see people managers in action. But when it's you and your own small business, you're not always lucky to have other people guide you internally in your business to be a better people leader. But it's so, so important if you want to succeed. So Heather and I are talking today about why it's so important to strengthen your people leadership skills and how you can become the people leader that your small business needs. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. You Before we get started in today's conversation, can you tell us a little bit about you and your business? Yeah. Uh, So Heather Palifka, I'm founder of a manager development experience. It's actually a first of its kind manager development experience called Awesome People Leaders. And we incorporate neuroscience, like how our brains actually work into the entire experience. Um, And that includes things like 15 minute micro lessons, how we serve up the content, all the things. I think what's most important um, and compelling is we combine high tech with high touch. So yes, there's online asynchronous learning that people can access when it works for them in short little tidbits, but it's combined with high touch, meaning that our participants have access to experienced team leaders for 24-5 access for questions, support, coaching, et cetera. And our leaders are people who've actually led teams for 10 plus years, high-performing teams. So we don't have theory people who have learned all the best practices but never actually had to do it. We are people that um, have actually had to have those tough conversations, who have actually developed talent into their next exciting role. So that's what I think makes our experience um, unique, compelling, and one of a kind. Yes. You know, it's funny that you talk about those theory people that have never actually led. I remember reading a book by a very popular business leadership author, and that was actually one of the things she said. She said, I spent so much time learning about leadership and studying it and you know, doing all these things and putting out books and telling people what to do, and then all that led to me starting my own business. And then I realized that it is a completely different beast when you're actually in it. Yeah. And there are some name brand, well-known, you know, leadership development out there that I will say has great content. Um, I wouldn't argue with their content at all. What I would say is that their delivery um, doesn't you know, hasn't evolved since the eighties or it doesn't work with how we actually work, but more importantly that they're, you know, one, they don't have coaching for participants for the most part, but the people they have leading the content delivery, most of them, um, highly qualified, but they've never actually led teams. Right. Yes. You know, it, it makes me, it just made me think of something completely like kind of off topic, but kind of related is part of the reason that I selected to go to the college that I went to is most of the professors teaching was kind of like their second career. They had been out doing these things and then coming to teach versus someone that's like, well, I studied it in books and now I'm just going to go on to teaching. It was like, no, I want to learn from the person who's actually done it. Exactly. 
we have, um, we have, and here's a, a classic example of we had a participant, and of course, you could look up in any number of resources of how to have a difficult conversation, right? And they'll show you a three, four, or five step guide to how to do that. And I don't, I'm not meaning to be sarcastic about the content, because again, the content is good. Um, but she was preparing for this conversation and um, reached out to us for coaching because she's a participant in our program. So then we followed up with her and we're like, how did it go? And she goes, oh, I don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't think I should be a people leader. I was like, oh my gosh, why? And she goes, Heather, I didn't sleep the night before. I was sick to my stomach. Like, I don't think I have the stomach for having these kinds of conversations with people. And I looked at her and I said, the moment you stop feeling that way is when you should stop being a people leader. What I appreciate is that you acknowledge there was gonna be a major impact there. Like, yes, they weren't performing. Yes, they needed to be let go. And I said, I led teams for a decade and I would still not sleep the night before, feel sick to my stomach, not be able to eat in the morning until I had the conversation. That's called being in touch with your humanity. Right. And we need more humanity in our leadership. And I think that illustrates the idea of we can have a process and a best practice and a whatever, but what's the humanity of leadership? And we don't tell leaders that having those conversations, you know, can take a real toll on yourself. We don't talk about that, but we do in awesome people leaders so that people know that guess what? That's normal. And that's called being a, being a human. Right, right. It's always one of those things that I talk about is the fact that as a business owner, you have to make tough decisions. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you forget that there's people on the other side of those decisions. It doesn't mean that you let those, let kind of that, that people focused person like run your business and run your business into the ground, but you always have to acknowledge it. And when you can acknowledge that there's people on the other side of your decisions, it sometimes helps you make the right decision or better decision, or make sure you have all your ducks in a row that you need to have in a row before you make that decision. But you still sometimes have to do the tough things, even though it's, it is tough. Absolutely. We have a, a concept that we talk about called the four hats. And I think this, uh, it, it definitely applies to business owners too, that at any given time, when you're looking at a decision about maybe an individual, your team, whatever, you should try on four hats. And rarely will the same answer come to you wearing any of the hats, but at least you've tried on that perspective. And one hat is the individual, you know, from their lens, you know, what do they need? What support do they need? You know, what might be going on for them? The second is your team. What's going on for them? What's the impact of maybe someone who's not performing, et cetera, et cetera. The third is your company. <laughs> and the fourth is yourself. <laughs> And right. all of those are valid hats. And, you know, at certain times we may outweigh one versus the other, but simply taking a moment to pause and look through those hats, those various hats is really important. So that'll help us not forget about the human individual, the human team, the human me as a leader, but also we're here to run a business. Yes, yes, definitely. All right. Well, I kind of want to circle back with one of the main things I wanted to talk about today that I think for those of you listening, this is probably going to really resonate with you a lot. We talked a bit about it's like 
there's just people that study leadership. You can know what leadership looks like. You've reported to leaders. You've probably reported to great leaders, reported to not so good leaders. It looks sometimes easy when you're not in that role. You're like, I can do that. I can do what they do. I can do it better than they do. And then every person gets into that first leadership role. And it's kind of like deer in the headlights of, what did I get myself into? What am I supposed to do? I had no idea that leadership involved this, that people management involved this. And then sometimes, especially as small business owners, when you're there and you don't have people above you guiding you through, you're like, I, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm just not meant to lead people. So I really want to talk about that and that transition into really becoming a first time leader. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to just like dispel this idea that there are born leaders. Like, no, a leadership, there's various muscles of leadership that can be built. It's like going to the gym. No one shows up at the gym their first day and can do like, you know, 50 push-ups and a hundred sit-ups and all the kinds of things, but there's muscles that you build. And I think that is what's missing as an understanding um, for you know, unfortunately, many companies, um, but also to your point, entrepreneurs who maybe I started a business because I knew about um, flower design and flowers. So I started a floral business, but that doesn't mean I've ever had, you know, leadership training. The challenge is that many in many companies, so we've got business owners who you started a business because you have subject matter expertise in a certain area. Or in companies, we promote people like, oh, the best salesperson, we're going to make them the sales manager. And that's where this perception comes of, oh, I could do that job because we think about the mechanics of the job, the technical aspects of the job of, oh, they understand selling or, oh, they understand coding or, oh, they understand customer service. So, of course, they'd make a great manager. And because we promote people for technical skills, we don't actually promote them because they have developed any of their leadership muscles. And then unfortunately, most companies don't actually give them training right, <laughs> to help them develop those leadership muscles. So that's where this all falls down quite a bit. And I think especially as an entrepreneur, it's easy to make ourselves wrong. We have to be so many things, right? Like we're head of marketing. We're head of, you know, HR, we're head of finance. And so it can be easy to be critical of ourselves um, that all of a sudden we have people reporting to us because we started a business with certain subject matter expertise and then feeling like somehow there's something wrong that I'm not getting this or people aren't doing what I want them to do or whatever the thing might be. And part of it is just investing in ourselves and investing in the people who are leading people with those foundational power people skills. Because we can talk about the mechanics, but like one of the first things we start our program with is brain science. And that probably won't surprise anyone because I mentioned the neuroscience at the beginning, but if we don't understand why we're thinking and reacting in a certain way, it's gonna be hard to understand how our people might think or react in a certain way. So right. that we're picking up the phone saying, hey, can we chat for a minute? And on the other hand, they're going, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> right? And so then they can't hear any of the conversation we're having. And so then we get frustrated because they're like, well, we've had this conversation before. 
But we had the conversation not realizing that there's this human brain on the other hand, on the other end, that's trying to protect itself, that's running out of fear. And so they can't possibly be productive. They can't possibly show up as the best version of themselves. And then we get triggered. So we get frustrated. And then our brain starts acting because we've got the survival of our business at hand. And so understanding how the human brain works just at a 101 level, we're not giving anyone a PhD here, <laughs> is really important because we are human beings leading human beings. And the brain drives so much of our thoughts and behaviors that we need a foundational understanding. And most leadership programs don't even touch on that. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's so important because, you know, and if your employee is like freaking out the moment they come into a meeting with you, like you said, they're never going to hear anything. And if you know that you can focus on how do you get them into the right mindset to be able to focus on it? How, instead of calling up and say, Hey, can you come chat being like, you know, maybe give them additional information before they walk in the door. So they know what it's about, you know, things like that, where you can learn, learn to help them versus like, all right, we're just going to wing this. And hopefully you're seeing things the same way I am. Yeah, exactly. I, um, we were talking with a group of chief technology officers of small and mid-sized businesses. And I mentioned the brain science, like that our brains are wired to keep us safe. And so our brains are always on high alert during change, during ambiguity, um, things that we perceive as a threat, even though someone else may not. Our brains are constantly scanning our marketplace, you know, and the environment around us to prevent and protect us from threats. And so with that in mind, we have to lower that threat response in the brain. And one of the ways that we do that is recognition, having people feel known and seen and heard for who they are and their talents and their gifts. If we, any of us thinks about someone in your life who can tell you the tough things whether that's, you know, a partner or a good friend or coworker or parent, you have a lot of trust with that person. And they can tell you the tough things because you know, they think you're pretty rocking. You know, they see all the amazing things about you. And so when we use recognition and when we also use positive reinforcing feedback, we start to lower that threat response. And then our employees can hear the coaching from us the, the ways that we're providing them for them to further improve their performance, et cetera. But that's why recognition and positive reinforcing feedback are so important. And one of the chief technology officers said to me afterwards, he goes, people have been talking to me for two decades about recognizing people. And I kept thinking, why do I have to thank people for doing their jobs? And he's like, Heather, you actually explained the science to me about that. And I'm gonna start recognizing people. I was like, mic drop. <laughs> right. And it's, uh, there's two things I wanted to circle back with that, but that's just that last thing right there is recognizing people for doing their jobs. And this is something that I learned when I was an early people manager was you have people that, that kind of just skirt by, they do the bare minimum of their jobs. And then you have these high achievers. Some of the people that are high achievers don't really know that they're high achievers because they see it as they're doing the job and they're doing what's supposed to, they're supposed to be done. And they don't see that they are doing so much more than other people. And when you help them start to see and realize that they're doing more and going above and beyond, and you're recognizing that it helps them realize that, wow, 
I, I am a rockstar employee. Like I am doing really well. I am not slacking because like if you're a high achiever and then all of a sudden you have a day or a week where you're just like, feel like you're just skirting by, you feel like you're failing. And it's just like, well, no, just this week, you didn't do like above and beyond, but you're, most weeks you're above and beyond what I need. And once I really learned to kind of recognize that above and beyond and help them see that they felt more confident and and their role and what they were doing and what they were producing. And they achieved even more. And they were able to be promoted elsewhere in the organization because they stopped seeing themselves as kind of failure. Am I doing enough? And you help them see you're doing more than enough. Yeah. I love that you called that out because the amazing thing is when, to your point, when you point that out to them, when you have them like, this is what I see, they can start to see themselves that way. And then they level up. And the Mm -hmm. more they level up, and I want like to your business owners listening to this, the more you level up your staff, the more you can level yourself up as a business leader Um, and get out of some of the day-to-day. So it's it's like this magical dust, but it's actually not so magical. Right. Um, Have those high performers level up. It's amazing when they know to see them that way so they can start to see themselves that way. Right. And then just another example there that I want to share before I get to the other thing I want to circle back on is that I remember in, if you've listened to a bunch of the episodes here, you probably have heard me share the story before, but I've had a team member that just the position that she was in, she caught all the mistakes, all the errors. And there were a few little performance things, but a lot of our conversations were always on the negative side because she was like dealing with the errors, presenting the errors. And sometimes it was like, all right, well, you're in a role where you're supposed to catch this. Why didn't you catch it sooner? And like, and things like that. And she said to me one day, or actually she said it to my boss when the three of us were in a meeting together that she felt like we didn't have a relationship because every one of our conversations was negative. And to me, I'm just like, it was real eye opener at first. I was just like, but we're talking about the stuff that we need to be talking about because these are the issues that are going on. These are the all hands on deck. This is what we need to be fixing. But her staying in that and then helping me realize that it helps me once again, pull out that recognition and pulling out, okay, what is she doing right? Yeah, this one error was caught maybe a few hours after we possibly could have caught it. But there's these other things that she was able to catch right away and we were able to fix them before they were ever a problem. And it changed the whole dynamic once I put an effort into what positive can I say? What can I, can we talk about before we talk about like this other thing? And it made her actually start performing better. So we had fewer negative things to talk about. It made her feel like she was valued on the team and everything. And it just really changed everything to find, find those opportunities to say, good job. You're doing this well. Like you caught this amazing work. You saved us money like, and things like that. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that learning because I had the same learning as a boss. And that's where, you know, by the way, our brains are wired to keep us safe too. So of course, we're going to focus right to where there's gaps or opportunities or things that need to be fixed. And especially the more time constrained we feel like, you know, we're, we're trying to find those things. Again, that's how our brain is wired. It actually takes some intention, um, which you pointed to, to then also recognize like, oh, but there were the 10 things that we talked about last week. And I see that those didn't happen again, like awesome way to learn and apply what we're talking about. And that's exactly what we all need to do is we all need to be willing to learn and do better. Um, yes. That then makes that other piece, you know, uh, that much easier to hear of, okay, now, and we found this other one error. 
And sometimes as leaders, you know, we're focused on where the gaps are because we feel very time constrained, but that intention of noticing all the things that our people do right and they do well and how they're learning and growing makes a world of difference. And I learned that through the school of hard knocks too. (laughs) But Heather, you brought it back kind of exactly where I wanted to circle back to is that that example and everything that you were sharing. And it's something that I feel is so important that we really need to stress, stress it and everything. Because one of the things I was going to say is not only are sometimes like we we're kind of critical. We're looking at things where people are in that, that kind of fear As I feel like as business owners, we're, I talk to business owners all a lot, all the time when it goes to hiring is they're in this thing of what if I hire and they do something wrong and it sabotages my business. And what if this, and they're, they're afraid to hire and they're afraid to get the people on their team because they're worried about everything that could go wrong. And you just kind of said that in such like a great way. It's like, yeah, we still have these fears. It's not just our employees having fears when they come talk to us as we have fears of our own. And, you know, as you, and I'm sure you probably have more to add, but like from what I got from what you shared is as we, we look at what our team members are doing right and how they're supporting us and those positive things, it kind of helps alleviate those fears because yeah. we're we're seeing that it's not all bad. There's so much positive stuff that's coming out of having these people on our teams and in our companies. Yeah, uh, exactly. And um, that's the, I would also say it has to do with how do we onboard people? Like, do we set people up in, in a way to fail because we're throwing everything over the wall and hoping they catch it? Well, then it's, you know, understandable that, you know, there might be some errors or, are we helping them grow into the role and, uh, and giving them piece by piece so that, you know, for one, so that they can be successful, but also so they, they, gave, they gain greater confidence and knowledge. Um, are we as leaders aware of and being transparent, transparent about our leadership style? Uh, I was on a great uh, uh, leadership call yesterday with the company and we were talking about how we want our teams to keep us informed and how our bosses want to be informed. And like, I'm a headline person. Give me the, give me the bottom line headline. And if I have questions, I'll ask more. That's how I tend to operate. Other people want all the information and all the details, right? Uh, some people want constant drip of communication. Other people are like, hey, let's just you know sit down once a week and like capture everything. If we're not clear about what success looks like, how can our team members show up in a way that we deem successful? So I think there's understanding our own fears and managing through our own fears, but also looking at what are we doing to set up an environment so that people can be successful. And by the way, when we do that, we can also catch earlier if someone's not a fit and that's still gonna happen but it's going to then happen before it's a detriment to your business, before it's killed off a relationship with a client. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Oh, there's so many good things there, Heather. You're totally speaking my language. It's like the first thing is like, I always ask my clients, the first questions when we go to kick off on a new project is what does success look like in this role? Because if you can't define what success looks like, how are you ever supposed to properly measure if someone's doing a great job? How are they supposed to know if they're doing a great job? You know, we have to set what success looks like. We have to know what our expectations are. Because if we don't know our expectations, we can't communicate it to our team members. So I love that. And I also love what you talked about, like that really that successful onboarding plan. 
most people want to create onboarding that's like drinking from the fire hose and saying, all right, now that you've been on the job for two days, go do your role, go do it, go do it. Cause I don't, I don't have time to train you any more than that. And then they're like, why is this person not working out? I'm like, cause the person still has no idea what they're doing. Even right. if they're a person who knows how to do the job because they've done the job elsewhere, they have no idea how to do it inside your organization yet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I've seen that be the thing that actually has someone not be a fit who might have ultimately been a fit if there had been that onboarding. And just for your listeners, I want to be very clear. Onboarding is 90 days, 90 days before someone can be, and that depends on the role, um, but think of it as 90 days. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have clients that look at me, they're like, wait, how, wait, why is our onboarding plan so long? And I'm like, well, some roles, it can move a little faster. Some roles is going to take a little bit longer. I was like, but this is, I'm like, onboarding is not just teaching them everything. And like, sometimes it's like training wheels. It's like, okay, they know what they need to do, but you need to still kind of do it with them. Now they need to go. And it's like, you take those training wheels off, but you're still standing beside them on the bike because they might fall over and you're seeing, can they do it right? And then they're going along doing it on their own, but you're still doing a lot of check-ins. And then they're finally able to go and ride that bike 100% on their own without you watching and without you fearing that they're going to fall over every five feet. I love that analogy. I'm going to steal that from you if that's okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um we talk about a, a matrix called, and I didn't invent it, it's called the skill will matrix. Skill meaning do they have experience doing something before? And will is more like, do they have the confidence of performing the task? And I think all of, I know I've had people who didn't actually have the skill, but they had all the confidence in the world. Um, I've also had people who they have so much experience. I don't, I don't honestly understand why they don't have the confidence to take something on. Um, but having that conversation with your team members adapts how we should be delegating or handing off things to them so that one, it happens effectively. I mean, that's, you know, important, but two, so that we actually build their skills and build their confidence. And it can sound like cumbersome to take that time, like to work alongside the training wheels and then take the training wheels off and be there. And then, um, and, and then like cheer them on, but still make sure they're okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's a long-term investment. By investing that time, that's how you build team members who will stay with you for a long time. That's how you build people who can constantly level up into taking on increasing amounts of responsibility. So you as a business owner or as a leader can level yourself up. Um, it's, it requires that investment. It doesn't just happen. Uh, and that's, that's what's been missing about a lot of people leadership is understanding that that is a job. Leading people is a job. There are muscles and skills to build specific to that, that have very little to do with the technical aspects of whatever your business or function is. Yes. And I think that's so important. Like the that last little bit is like leading people is a job. It is. And if you're going to run a business, you need to know how to lead people. And even if you're listening to this saying, well, I'm never going to have employees. Well, guess what? Contractors, those relationships you have, that's still leading people. Some of those leadership skills fall over to conversations with your clients. You know, there's so much of leadership in running a business and it's more than just having employees on your team. Absolutely. In fact, 
there's a lot of what we teach that I think are their foundational sort of emotional intelligence people skills. Like, do we understand how to influence people and meet them where they're at? Do we understand the sources of conflict so that we don't make it personal and about the person? Do we understand what our default way of addressing conflict is and how sometimes that works really well, but other times it can actually cause damage? Those kinds of things are just about knowing and understanding ourselves as human beings so that we can flex to the world and the circumstances around us. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, I wanna circle back to like the onboarding and everything just real quickly, because we talked about that 90 days. And I know once again, people are looking at us like, I need someone, I need someone before 90 days. And one of the things that I always talk about is just cause they're learning doesn't mean they're not producing. Yes. And, and just because this one part of their job might need that full 90 days for them to get up and running, but there's other parts of their job that they might be able to start doing after the first week. So you're still getting something out of them during those first 90 days. It's not like you're just in training that entire time. Right. So yeah, no, thank you. So um, I think you just helped stop, stop some hyperventilating from anyone listening to this. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's so true. There's things that they can be productive with right away, but getting the full context and understanding how to work, you know, with you, with your team, with your clients, um, that's what can take, you know, the, the longer cycle and having that understanding. There's also ways that you can expedite that. Um, and we teach a lot of those tools in our course of ways to, um, increase the building of trust and understanding very quickly of how things work. Uh, but again, that's oftentimes some of the work that doesn't happen. And so people have to figure it out. Now, this is, I'm going to give just one little example, but it's like, take this little example and then start. And then you go, whoa, is I started a new job and I'm so excited. And of course I showed up on the first day at the time they said, and the place they said, and woohoo. What no one told me is everyone brings their lunch and they eat lunch together at work. So there I am, my very first day of, I didn't bring my lunch because no one told me. And so on my very first day, I want to be part of the gang. So of course I sat with everybody at lunch, but I had nothing to eat. And no one needs to feel sorry for me. And, you know, it was not a health risk or anything, but... <laughs> Those little nuances, that's why it's like this one micro example, but what about all the other ways of operating? Like who sits where? Do we use Zoom or do we walk down the hall or do we send an email or do we send a chat? There's all those ways we have of working that mostly in most organizations and, and companies of all sizes have not actually been laid out. It's just the water we swim in. So we think everyone kind of knows. But that can very quickly either help someone feel like they belong and they're included and they can get up to speed faster, or it can leave someone left out with no lunch on their first day of work. Yes. I love that you brought up that example because that's one thing I tell my clients when we're talking about welcoming that new team member. And I'm like, all right, you're going to send them a list of what to expect on that first day. And I always say, what about lunch? What are the yes. plans? And they're like, I never thought about that. I'm like, exactly, because you're here every day. Are you going to give them an hour to say, all right, you're on your own, come back? Are you going to have a team lunch? Are you taking them out to lunch? Yeah, are you in an environment where everyone brings their lunch? And yeah, they have the ability to go out because it's their hour, whatever they want. But as you said, like if they're if everyone's sitting down and it's your first day, 
you're going to take that opportunity to get to know people. Well, most people will, instead of being like, peace out, I'm going to get my own lunch. I'll be back in an hour. So I'm like, it's those little things that make someone feel comfortable coming in. You know, it's, it's even sometimes as much as what door do they use when they enter? You know, like, is it, you have a back entrance that all your employees use, but this employee can't because they don't have their key yet. They don't have their card yet. So say, Hey, well, most of our employees use the back entrance to enter during the day. You'll have to enter through the front on your first day because we need to get you checked in. We need to give you your credentials. But the, in the future, you'll be able to use whatever door you like, like things like that, where you just don't think about it because it's so ingrained in your every day. Exactly. I always think the other thing is, what should someone wear on their first day? You know, some guidance for that is also very helpful. But yeah, there's just a lot of ways that we have of operating that we don't even recognize because they evolve so close, so um, slowly over time. But if you want to know what are some of the weird things or the new things or the things that not to expect that happen, ask your newest hire and they'll tell you, well, I thought it was weird that when we sit at the lunch table, I had to be careful because everyone sits in the same place. Uh, so I would tell people that. <laughs> you know? Yes nuances. <laughs> yeah, those little things. All right. There was something else about, oh, I know what I want to talk about. This is something we haven't talked about yet on this episode, but you and I have talked a little bit before. When it comes to, I think, that onboarding and training, or even if a, you yourself, you're going to go through a training program, you bring up something that I don't think most people think about, and that's how much information people can absolutely actually absorb. And I think this is good when you're going to train your new team members, because once again, no matter what to them, it's probably going to feel like a lot of information is coming to them that first week. It's There's so much they have to learn, but you want to make sure that they can absorb as much as they can. So tell us about how much we can actually absorb when we're learning. Yeah, the optimal, and this is by the Neuroleadership Institute, the optimal is about 20 minutes of content or less. I am going to say that again, because people like 20 minutes or content or less is optimal for absorption. But of course, that's also assuming, you know, people are multitasking, et cetera, which by the way, we should do away with multitasking because that doesn't help with absorption, recall, and it's actually less productive, but I digress. Um, maximum is really about up to an hour. And even then think of it like each of us, our brains are like a teacup and there's only so much liquid you can put it in a teacup before it starts spilling over. Um, an hour is really that maximum before the brain needs a break. So, um, and I appreciate you saying this, that most onboarding is like drinking from the fire hose of information. And then we wonder why no one recalls anything. We go, well, we covered that, you know, on day two and <laughs> like anyone could remember. And that's actually the challenge I saw with a lot of manager development um, programs is that they are flooding too much content. So the content is great, but they're flooding too much at once. Um, that's why we've designed our program of 15 minute lessons or less. And the other thing is we need space between learning to be able to absorb it, to wrestle with it, to think about it. Um, so that's, again, we have what we call space learning, which is a concept from the Neuroleadership Institute. So let's say that, you know, you have your first day of onboarding for employees. I wouldn't have them sit through a bunch of training videos the same, the same day. They won't remember at the very minimum, 
a training video and then a break. So maybe it's a training video and then time to network with someone, you know, have a meeting with someone and then quiet time to reflect. Then they're ready for their next training video. Uh, then meet with someone because it does a couple of things. One, it breaks it up. It allows that space, but it also engages our brain in different ways. And we're then more likely to retain it. So it's really important that um, not just the amount of content at once, but that there's space between content if we want any hope of retaining it. And then we also need time to wrestle with it. We need to apply it in some way because that will help us to recall it when we need it later. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, there's, I always tell people, I was like, let's say you're hiring someone for a full-time job. You don't have to find ways to train them 40 hours that first week. Like, no. no, that's way too much. They can't absorb that. It's how do we have these little pockets of training plus application time plus I call it sometimes self-guided learning, but it's not so much training or I think watching training videos or things like that. It's how can I get my hands on this and see it in real life? So for example, when I work with interior design clients, a lot of times that that training, it's like, okay, we're going to talk about things. Now I want you to go into these files and look at some of the past designs we put on with clients, read through the emails, see the type of stuff that we put in there. So we're not just talking about it. Now you're going and seeing it and things like that. It's like, you know, some of them, I think it was a bookkeeping client. It's like, okay, well, go look at some of the past things for the clients that we've talked about and some of the reports so you can really see it, get your hands onto it now that we've talked about it. And it's yeah. building in some of that stuff. It's like, we're not expecting them to do anything with that content yet. But now that we talked about it, now that you learned about it, see it in action, absorb it, digest it. Here's a little teeny tiny project you could do with that information that we taught you. It's not your whole job yet. It's this little teeny tiny project. And then we'll build more on it in the next training session. Yeah, it just gives them a much stronger foundation because one, they will have absorbed the content they'll be able to retain it and recall it. And then they're ready for that next piece. Unfortunately, most of our training is really like a house of cards. We're gonna give you everything all at once, but one little whoop, and it all shatters because we haven't had that, built that strong foundation of one brick, of one piece of knowledge and understanding on top of another. And to really develop it as knowledge and understanding, we need to wrestle with it. We need to apply it. We need to ask a question about it that's when it actually gets into our memory banks. Yeah. And I think it's also important to think about what order do we teach some of the stuff in? Because sometimes there's a very linear process where you go, okay, it makes sense from A to Z. Other times it it's not so linear of a process of like how to learn it and everything, but someone's really not going to understand this one item until they understand this other thing. And I remember one time going into a job where they had us like, I think it was just so they, there was something for us to do. They had us go and sit with people in other departments and learn about what they did. But I still didn't really understand the internal workings of what my job was. So to go and find out what someone else did, and I'm just like, okay, that's great. How does it relate to me? it all went over my head. And I was like, that was a complete waste of time because I have no idea the interaction yet. And the next round of new hires I went through, I was helping, I think, to schedule some of their stuff. So I went to some of those meetings. I was like, oh, now I actually understand what they're saying because of the fact that I know my job now. So now I can understand that. So sometimes it's like, am I asking them to absorb things before they're ready to absorb that, before they're ready to get everything out of it? I couldn't agree more. And, and I had, I remember we had one training that we needed to do and it was like five different pieces, but we at least said to them, 
all you need to understand is this piece of the puzzle, and it's not going to make sense how it connects until we get through all five. So I'm going to ask you as learners to just trust at some point these five pieces will fit together and form a whole picture. Yes. And even as a learner, that all of a sudden lowers our concern that we're quote unquote not getting it you know, et cetera, because now I know, oh, okay. Like they've told me I'm not going to see the overall picture. So I cannot relax and just focus on each piece of the puzzle. Um, yes. That communication is really important. And, and I love that idea of like, sometimes it's actually going to take you being in the job before you're going to be able to understand how the interaction is with another department, et cetera. Yes. And I love that you said that because it's something very similar. I tell my clients when we're creating those onboarding plans is like you can introduce everything at first, but tell them like, this is just an introduction. It's just so you kind of know some of the names and tools and everything that's there. And then we're going to dive deep into each one of these. You know, so I'm not expecting you to know everything at first. You're probably going to forget half of what I told you about, but at least you kind of see, here's what we're trying, like that puzzle, as you said, here's what the puzzle looks like. Now let's figure out all the individual pieces that go there. And exactly. the other thing I, I wanted to talk about is kind of circling back to that 15 minutes or that 20 minutes of learning you know, yeah. is a lot of times we can look at that and say, but that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Like I need to give them more time because I need to get them up and running. And I think it kind of ties to one of kind of like the, the training theories and stuff that I always talk about when we talk about how much our brain can, can absorb is I always talk about this, this movie theory. It's like, if you think of your favorite movie that you've watched more than once, that second time around, you absorb more stuff because you have a different foundation going in. The movie didn't change. It's the exact same images. It's the exact same dialogue that happened the time before, but you're able to absorb more because not everything's fresh. And the third time you watch it, you catch on to even more. And yeah. it's exactly the same thing. And I always, I always bring this up telling my uh, clients and stuff, or when I'm talking about this is sometimes someone needs to go through training more than once to fully get everything. But a lot of it ties back to it's because once again, our brains can only absorb so much at a time. We don't yeah. realize that we're not absorbing the rest of it. You know, so we're hearing it, we're not getting it, but we don't know that we're not getting it. Exactly. And, you know, it does take thought and consideration to be able to condense something down into the most critical 20 minutes they need to know. And then, you know, we can always have a second 20 minutes, you know, we could do that a week from now, but it does take thought and consideration. And I think that's also what sometimes, you know, leads us to maybe flood more information because um, we're not pausing and thinking about what is that first building block that's going to be that first viewing of the movie where they understand the overall theme and what transpires, but maybe not some of the nuances and details but they'll be ready in the next 20 minutes to then dive into it because they got the first 20 so well. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, Heather, I think on that, it's probably time for us to wrap up because we're way past the 20 minutes. So they might not be <laughs> absorbing anything more, uh, but if that, but hey, if you're listening, you can always listen to it again and get catch the rest of it. But so exactly. Heather, how could everyone get in touch with you? Yeah, well, you can go to awesomepeopleleaders.com and learn more about the Awesome People Leader experience. Uh, you can email me at heatherp at awesomepeopleleaders.com. 
And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Heather Palifka, and I'll spell that last name because I know it sounds complicated. P is in Peter, O-L-I-V is in Victor, K-A. So find me on LinkedIn. Yes, thank you. Yeah, talking to me, like I know all about having to spell that last name because it sounds complicated. No one can ever get it right. So, <laughs> so yes, but all right. My final question that I love to ask all my guests is we've all had managers or leaders that have stood out to us. Think of a manager or leader that has stood out to you and share one thing about them. Um, I'm actually, I'm going to make an unconventional choice because I have lots of great inspirational leader stories. I also have non-inspirational, like, please avoid this at all costs leadership stories. Um, but you know, I think back to my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Gray, and I am going to call him out because it's such positive. Um, he really had every student feel seen and feel known and feel valued for exactly who they are. And if I look back in my life, like certainly, you know, my mom stands out as one of my first early leadership models. Um, but so does Mr. Gray, because that's actually the experience that each and every one of us have the opportunity to deliver, whether we're leading a team, whether we're leading a business, or whether we're even leading our choir, <laughs> you know, or kids sports is to leave people with the experience of being known, seen, and valued. Yes, it's, a, it's so important. And I love it when people bring up these examples of early on, like this is your teacher in childhood. Leaders make a difference in people's lives from the very start. And then that example, you weren't an employee of his or theirs, like you weren't, you know, but they still, like, as we talked about earlier, like having these leadership skills is so important because you impact people on so many different levels as a person. Those leadership skills are so important. And this person had the opportunity to impact your life early on. And it's so important when people see that they have that power to impact people's lives all the time. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Heather. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss new episodes. And if your favorite podcast app has the ability, leave a review and let us know what you love about the show. As you wait for the next episode, be sure to follow Growing Your Team on Instagram at Growing Your Team or head on over to growingyourteam.com to access more resources and learn how Growing Your Team can support you as you master the art of hiring.